Hey, what's up, young adults? Hey, it's Jared here. I'm so excited to be back with you for another Tuesday Night Live. Hey, if I know one thing in this week, like week four or five through this pandemic, it's that the cuteness, the novelty, the fun of the quarantine is probably over by now. The, the cool things that, hey, I get to be at home a little bit more, or hey, I'm not going into work as much, it, it's, it's off. I'm ready for things to be back to normal. I've talked to several people this week that are like, all right, I'm ready for things to happen again. I'm ready to see people. I'm ready to play a sport. I'm ready to do something with a bigger group of people than just the people that are at my house who I'm kind of at my wits end with. Uh, and I think that's everybody. Um, and it kind of brought up, I'm reading through the book of Acts in my quiet time, and it kind of brought up a question that I, I kind of saw um, earlier this week. And uh, here's that question. What's God doing with our pain? I think that this pandemic is probably highlighting a lot of pain in people's lives, that there's sickness and death and loss of income and just different things going on. But what does God do with pain? Why does he allow that pain to come into our lives? And what does he do with it? Um, you might have a history of abuse. You might have a history of addiction. You might have something in your past that you have shame or guilt over. What does God do with that? Why does he let you have that? And what does he plan to do with it in your future? Like I said, I read through Acts, um, and it's so cool to see what happens in Acts, uh, what we're going to be in Acts 3 and 4 today. But uh, what he's doing in Acts is like Jesus has come and lived his life, done his ministry, miracles, never sinned, pointing people towards heaven, and he died, he was buried, was resurrected, and then you see like the end of Matthew into Luke and Acts, like you see Christ spending time with his believers, with his followers, and then he, he leaves, he pieces out, he ascends into heaven, and then it says in Acts 2 that like the Holy Spirit came upon them, and the rest of Acts is just this crazy story of what God was doing through his church. And I honestly believe that God is readying his church, readying his people for something in this season through a global pandemic that we would not have been ready for without it. That God is stirring up something deep within our souls that we want to see God move. We're seeing how people are broken and hurting, that we're broken and hurting, and that he is the only answer to that hurt. But in Acts, you see all this starting to happen. And at the end of Acts 2, uh, you see how 3,000 people get saved after Peter preaches. And it's the first time somebody preaches. 3,000 people get saved and baptized. And it's just kind of unbelievable. But we pick up in Acts 3, and we see this guy that has a lot of pain, has a lot of difficulty in his life. And I think it's going to add some, of, uh, some context to why we have pain in our lives. Look at what it says. It says, now, now Peter, this is verse 1, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer in the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms. He's asking for, for uh, he's begging basically, um, to, and received alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us, and fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and no gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When I first read this, the, the word that stood out to me 
um, was the word recognized. Um, people will identify with you on your inability. Hey, you're that guy who never figured out how to finish college. You're the guy who always lies. You're the guy who messed up. You're the guy who was abused in this way. That people want to identify us by our inability. Man, you're that guy. You're that guy who has that problem. You're the girl who did that thing. That people want to, to define us. People want to give us a label based on our inabilities, based on our past, based on our pain. And I think that's, that's just what people do. It's easy to see that. It's easy to see someone who's so good at something and then go, ah, but he could never figure that out. The NFL draft was this last weekend. And they're talking about these guys who are able to play at the highest level. And when they draft him, they go, hey, he's great at these three things, but this one part of his game's not great. So that why, that's why he might slide to the second or third round, not be a first overall pick. And pe- people want to identify with inability. It's natural. It's easy. Even when someone's good at 98%, you look at the 2% and go, yeah, but he'll never figure that out. And that's so simple for us to do. That's what these people knew this guy as. They looked at him and went, he's the guy. They recognized him. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you see someone and you're not really sure where you know them from, but that's what happened to this guy. People are looking at him going, okay, I see you in a situation in a, a a place that I've never seen you before, why do I recognize you? Where do I know you from? And they immediately remember, you're the guy who sits by the temple gate and asks for money. That's you. That there are going to be people in your life that recognize you by your inability, recognize you by your greatest failure, recognize you by being the guy who never, the girl who always, and that's what's natural. It's going to happen. But I think what's important is that God has a plan for our pain. God doesn't just look at us and go, man, you know what, Jared, you're the guy who's always going to struggle with insecurity, so that's just going to be your lot. That's what's going to be you. No, when God comes into our lives, his hope is that we would not just be be spiritually better, but that we would have all the areas of our lives start to kind of be sorted out by Christ. Look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what's dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith and love and peace, along with those who call the Lord from a pure heart. That, man, what God is doing in your life is that he's looking at the place of pain that you have, and that's where he wants to give you your greatest freedom. That there are going to be generational things. Man, you, your family always got an alcoholic. They, they could always have a penchant for alcoholism. Man, your family, they're just failures. They don't finish college. Man, they don't, they don't figure out relationships. They don't do that well. That's what the world wants to define you as. But God looks at you and says, hey, what's your greatest failure? I want to have the greatest amount of freedom in your life from that. And it's not just the physical. He, he sees the spiritual as so much more important. When Jesus was healing people, he would almost always make some kind of statement of like, hey, rise up and walk and sin no more. And when his disciples were asking him about that, hey, why'd you tell him to sin no more? He goes, hey, what's easier? To tell him to get up and walk or to tell him that his soul is cleansed. And that's a different ball game. That's a different thing. Because people will look at your freedom from sin. They'll look at your freedom from some of that generational hurt, and they'll go, wait, 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 how did you get free from that? But Jesus flipped it around and said, no, what's most important is that your soul is free from the things that tie you down to this earth. Look at what happened in this man's life after he 
was healed physically. Look at what happened in verse 9 and 9 through 11. It says, And the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate. They saw him for his inability, asking for alms. And look at this. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And in verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them at the portico called Solomon. Some of the things that will happen in your life, some of the things that God will give you freedom from will make people astounded. They will give people awe and wonder. And I'm here to say that God did not just give you freedom from those things for you to walk around and leap up. He was leaping around praising God. He never forgot where that freedom came from. I'm just here to ask you, what are you ascribing the credit to for your freedom? Whether it's freedom from sin, something generational, whether it's pain, internal, unforgiveness. Are you accrediting it to, man, I just kind of figured out how to manage that pain in my life. Or are you going, Jesus freed me. There's a marked difference. Look at what happens next in verse 12. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. When he saw everyone coming, he, he was like, I'm going I'm to put this in its proper context. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we, by our own power or piety, have made him walk? He's going, dude, it's not me. I didn't figure this out. I didn't figure out how to heal this man's paralyzation from birth. Like, I don't know how to do that. Why are you looking at me like I know how? There will be awe at the freedom that you have, but look at who he ascribes it to. In verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied into the presence of Pilate. He's reminding them what just happened. You gave over Jesus to the state when he decided to release him, but you denied the holy and righteous one, and ask for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. He's talking about Christ's crucifixion, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Look at this in verse 16, Acts 3, verse 16. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know in faith that is through Jesus, has given this man the perfect health in the presence of you all. In our inability, in our growth, in our health, we get to point to something that's greater to, than us. There's a reason that there are like millions of self-help books. People are looking to get ahead. People are looking to grow. People are looking to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. And I don't want you to look at my life and go, man, Jared just figured it out. He's good at relationships. He's good at managing his money. He's good operationally and organizationally. No, I want you to look at my life and hear that the only thing is Christ. He's the only thing that I can ascribe value to that gave me purpose, that gave me meaning, that gave me ability to overcome sin because of Christ. It's not me. If it's up to me, I'm going to return to it every single time. But the power of Christ in me is making me a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is found in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone away. Behold, the new has come. The only way that we can become new people is through Christ. Man, I love the change that we see in this guy. One of Jesus' miracles was something similar. In Mark 5, Jesus heals this man. He casts these demons out of this demon-possessed man. They called him legion because they were legion, means 
thousands or 2,000 demons were in this man. And here's one of my favorite pieces of scripture. Verse 15, Mark 5. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, listen to this, sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. So they saw a guy who was not used to sitting there in his right mind, not used to being clothed, and they see him sitting in one spot, sitting still, clothed. And they're like, I'm afraid. Like, if that guy is acting normal, something is different about him. And I think we all probably know someone or have had some time in our past that we went, all right, if he's clothed and sitting down, like, if he's sitting normally, something's up. I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm going to stay away from that person. I've been around people that they see people from their past and they go, I don't know why they're acting so sane. I'm, I'm going to keep some distance, okay? We've all probably been there with somebody. But this is not just, man, they got off drugs, they're acting right. This is the power of their creator stepping into their life. That the spirit of God is living within them and makes people that we see in Acts go, man, I'm in awe. I am struck with what has changed in you. That the people in Mark were looking going, I'm afraid of what happened in him. If that guy can be changed, what could happen in me? And I, I just want to ask you, have you grown numb to what God has done in your life? Satan wants you to be numb to everything that you've done. He wants to chalk it up to, well, you just figured out the right things that you need to do so that you don't rely on alcohol so much. God just wants you to, um, ah, I don't know, be minimalized, just kind of live this average normal life. No, 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 no. God wants you to be awestruck with the story of him. Can you imagine being this guy in Acts who was known as the guy who sat by the temple gate? He was the guy who sits at Sunshine and Campbell and asks for stuff every day. He's out there. I see him every day. And he's going, no, I'm, I'm good now. Things are different for me. And I just can't imagine 30 years down the line, somebody going, hey, aren't you the guy? I used to live in that town. I moved back, but what? Something's different about you. And he probably wouldn't go, um, yeah, I just, one day I just kind of decided I was kind of done living that life. No. He became obsessed with the story of Christ in his life. Are you obsessed with the story of Christ in your life? I want to challenge, we're going to do groups after this. I want to challenge everybody who's going to be in a group, tell your story. And even if you don't know the story, I'm going to tell it now so that you kind of get some ideas. What were you like before Christ? What were those sins? What were those pain that, that you had in your life? How did you meet Christ? And what's your life been like after? Because I don't want anyone in our community to grow numb to the story of the goodness of God, what he's done in their lives. Because I don't think we ever know what happened we ever know what happens when we tell the story of God. Um, I'm, I'm going to flip forward just a little bit. His, his ability, or his new ability, his ability to walk, gives Peter an awesome opportunity to just share the gospel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple more verses after verse 16 that I read. In verse 19, he says, Repent, therefore, turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. That because of his change in life, because of what Jesus did in him, it gave him a platform to speak. 
And I think that there are going to be people all over that whatever it is that God has given you freedom from, he's going to give you a platform on that now. That if you have freedom from, from pornography, if you have freedom from sexual sin, if you have freedom from alcoholism, you have freedom from looking for the acceptance of others, if whatever it is that God's given you freedom from, that pain point in your life, that God's probably still working something in, he's going to give you platform. Why? Because the people around you are looking for something to give them hope. And they're looking for the right combination of actions and thoughts that are going to give them hope. But 2 Peter 2.9 says to proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness and into marvelous light. That doesn't mean you have to proclaim the gospel A to Z every time. Can you just tell about how God's been good to you? Man, God, God gave me some money. I didn't expect this money to come in and I got more. God gave me friends. God gave me whatever it is that God's done for you. God's given you freedom. Tell that. And I think it's going to pique the interest of the people around you to just tell on the goodness of God. To brag on, man, can I just tell you about what God did for me? Be that guy at your work that you go, man, I used to struggle with that same thing. Can I just tell you how I got some freedom? Man, I I've been there. I've been sad before. Can I tell you what gives me hope? What lets me sleep at night? What if we did that together as a whole? I want to fast forward just a little bit. What happens at the end of Acts 3 and the beginning of Acts 4 is that Peter and John get put into jail. Crazy story. You really should read this for yourself. But an angel comes, opens the door, and tells them in the middle of the night, hey, go preach. So they go preach. They go start setting up. They go to let them out. They're like, oh my gosh, they're not here. They end up going out uh, where they're preaching, and they're like, wait a minute, these are the guys. And look at what happens. I just want you to see. Chapter 4, verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So between a couple of days before this, when Peter preaches, and now after this man has been healed and people are watching, 2,000 people have come to know Christ. Will you tell your story? Know it. Be excited about it. Don't be numb. Spend some time jumping into the depths of where you were before to understand, God, you have saved me from so much. And I'm so thankful for it. Man, I just, there, there, there's nothing better than seeing that people are saved because of it. Later on in chapter 4, in verse 13, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished that they had been, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That word recognized comes up again, that they recognized them as being uneducated, normal men that just tell the story of Christ. We don't have to have some kind of benchmark understanding. If you know what you've done with Jesus, People are going to look at you and go, something's different. People were able to look at Peter and John and go, man, you, I can just tell you've been with Jesus. Is that what your life looks like? Does your life look like a life that's been defined by Christ or does it look like something else? I want you to read the verse that's right after that. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed, besides, healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Does your life give credit to Christ and quiet the opposition? Does the sermon that your life preaches, 
point to Jesus and make people go, I can't argue with the change in his life. They would have seen how he was there years and years at the temple gate. But now he's standing up and they're like, we, we, don't, we don't have anything to say. The power of God is true. Christian, is that the way that you live your life? Can you tell that you've spent time with Jesus? Or does it look like everybody else's life? Return to the story. Don't grow numb to it. God wants you to know your story and proclaim it. Believe it. Have that be the one story that you tell for the rest of your life, how God saved you. And if you're here, you have not followed Christ. It says later on, Verse 12, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name on heaven by which we must be saved. The name of Christ, calling on him, he'll give that freedom to you. He'll give you hope. Do you have that? Listen, you can comment on our Facebook. You can comment on whatever you're watching this on. But the easiest way to let us know that you've done that is to go to your phone and text 94,000 and just say, prayed. And we love to just talk to you about what that looks like to follow God, what that freedom looks like because it's readily available. If you call in the name of Christ, he's faithful to forgive you and give you that freedom because he's the only thing that will give you hope. He's the only thing that will give you freedom from that past, the freedom from your difficulty and hope for the future. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the freedom that you offer in your name. And God, I pray that we would press into it. God, that we would not grow numb or tired of our story. God, that we would realize that we were destined for eternity separate, separated from you. But God, instead, that you give us friendship, communion with you. And God, I pray that that would change us forever. God, that that would be the one story that we tell. God, we love you in your holy name. Amen.